6. 5. You have discovered the 542 and the Blue Podcast, Discussions of Law Enforcement History, Issues and Incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, Retired Police Detective Sergeant, Author and Researcher. 4. 3. 2. 1. Thank you, ladies. Two of the best producers and tech editors in the podcast business you're going to find today. Our shade of blue this week, we're going to be talking about a murder in Mitchell County, North Carolina. On the 22nd of January, 1904, the body of a young man was found lying near the railroad tracks between Montezuma and Saginaw in Mitchell County. The body was lying face first in or near a small creek. It had several bullet holes in it. It was reported at the time to have three in the head and five in the body. The victim was located by two teenage young men who were walking along the railroad tracks in that area. The county coroner, Mr. Bird, L.C. Bird, was summoned and an inquiry and inquest was held. Now, in North Carolina in the 1900s, a lot of time the initial investigation of a homicide was completed by a coroner's jury. Usually these men were called who could be rounded up quickly or on short notice, sometimes who had expertise in various issues and incidents, or whoever basically the sheriff or the coroner could get their hands on at the time the inquest was needed. The inquest was held the next day. The young men who found the body, some gentlemen who were hunting nearby that heard the gunshots and went to investigate, all testified at the inquest. The hunters observed a man running away from the crime scene soon after the shots were heard, and the young men that were walking along the railroad track also saw a man running away and apparently got a very good look at him and what he had on and what he had in his hands at the time that he fled. Hearing the statements and after reviewing the physical evidence, the jury found the deceased came to his death by eight shots entering his body, four shots in his back, one in his left arm, and three in the back of his head, all shots from a 32 caliber pistol. It was decided enough evidence was available to present the case to the magistrate, who found probable cause to issue a warrant for murder against a young man by the name of Lee Shelton of Shelton Laurel, Madison County, North Carolina. Now one thing I noticed in reviewing the newspaper accounts and the court records, the number of bullet wounds in the original newspaper article and a second news article as well as the court reports is interesting, or at least I found it interesting. In a review of the court testimony, Mr. Shell, our victim, was said in court to have been shot 10 times with a 32 caliber pistol, not eight, as the coroner's jury originally had said. Reviewing later testimony, I wondered if it was possibly a five-shot revolver that was used or one that was loaded with five rounds and the hammer being set on an empty chamber for safety reasons. The small pistol described in court records being carried by the murderer in his pocket, making me think it was possibly a small five-shot pocket revolver. That was actually not covered in the court records that I was able to get my hands on and review. Mr. Shell's father had been notified 
and he responded by train to claim the body. Now, like many at that time period, Shell had worked for a local timber company camp in Mitchell County. Many young men of the time would travel to the different camps, making and saving money for their families at home. Sending money by mail or other routes home was kind of a dicey task. The safest way, of course, at the time was to have a trusted family member or neighbor from back home retrieve the funds, or better yet, for the person receiving his pay, to do so himself, having a chance to stay with the family a while, then go back to work and search out more employment. This was apparently what the young Mr. Shell was doing. He had received his pay in gold, according to the court records, and as a good son was taking the share home to his family. Shell had been paid over $120 in gold. Heading for home, Shell had stopped overnight in a small community by the name of Panola. He would pass through this on his way home. Now, in town, he made some purchases. A new shirt. Most likely, he was wanting to look good for his homecoming. After all, at that time, $120 in gold made Shell kind of a rich man. It was testified to that when the shirt was purchased in the store with some other items, when Mr. Shell was given his change for his purchases, it was done in the presence of a Mr. Lee Shelton of Madison County. Lee Shelton had left logging camp number five that morning going home as well, a different lumber camp than Mr. Shell had been working at. It appeared that they were traveling the same road more than likely by chance. A search for Lee Shelton was made at the time, but he could not be located. The new shirt Shell bought at Panola, his money and his pistol were all taken in the murder robbery. It was believed that Shell had laid down beside the creek to get a drink of water and was shot in the back of the head. Now, based on the information from the coroner's jury and testimony before a Mitchell County grand jury, a true bill was found and arrest warrants for robbery and murder of the 19-year-old young man were issued for Mr. Lee Shelton, 22 years of age, from Shelton Laurel Community in Madison County. Now, six months later, the Madison County Sheriff was able to locate and arrested Mr. Lee Shelton. Shelton was placed in the county jail and held for court in Mitchell County. Now, young Mr. Shell's family learned of the arrest of the murder suspect, and they traveled to Marshall from Tennessee seeking revenge or justice or perhaps both. The family stayed in Marshall and waited. And, of course, Lee Shelton announced his innocence to anyone who would listen. Rumors of Shelton's friends planning a jailbreak circulated in the small county seat and throughout the community. Knowing, like he did, the men of Shelton Laurel, it gave the sheriff some concern. Other residents of Madison County, along with members of the dead man's family, hearing this also made plans to break Shelton out of jail, but for a slightly different reason, of course. Their plans were to skip the trial entirely and go straight to the death penalty phase of the situation. Now, these concerns resulted in the sheriff of Madison County leaving with Lee Shelton and a deputy in the middle of the night and traveling to Charlotte by train to secure Shelton there for safekeeping before the trial. Now he was kept in the Mecklenburg County Jail and his presence there was pretty much kept quiet for some time due to security reasons. 
Now, the removal of Shelton from Madison County to Charlotte was to serve, of course, a double purpose, to keep him from the hands of the would-be lynchers and also to keep him from his friends and their efforts at a rescue. Shelton was kept secure in a cell by himself, but was allowed to speak to other inmates. He was not allowed to the regular privilege of walking about the supervised area of the jail, and in fact was hardly allowed to leave the single prison cell he was confined to. Now, according to the sheriff, there was an attempt at that time to smuggle in or provide Shelton with an axe. After speaking with other prisoners, his plan apparently was working together was to use the axe to bust holes in the brick wall and release Shelton and several other inmates. The plan was leaked to the chief jailer. He further confined Shelton with chains and stopped contact with the other prisoners entirely. Some of the inmates who had spoken to Shelton, who had been released, reported the story of the situation to the local papers. Shelton had told them he strenuously denies his guilt and stated he had been in his home county of Madison when the murder, if it was a murder, was committed. He had told fellow inmates that he and the dead men were friends and that the state of North Carolina would not be able to show any motive that could have possibly induced him to commit the crime. Now, Shelton was to have been tried at the June term of Mitchell County Court, but the feeling there was so bitter against him that the authorities thought it best not to take him from Charlotte just yet. Now, according to an article in the Charlotte newspapers, uh, dated June 27, 1904, quote, Shelton knows why he was brought to Charlotte. He is fully aware that the people of Madison and Mitchell County are craving his blood. But he is as brave as a lion, and were taken back to the scene of his supposed crime, he would not flinch. Now that is a direct quote from the Charlotte News, June 27, 1904, on a Monday. Now you really got to love the writing style of that time period. When court was finally called in Mitchell County, and the proceedings started, a sudden change of plea was made. Originally, Shelton had pled not guilty, again saying that his friend was the one that was killed and he wouldn't have done it. Now, to the surprise of the court and the community and also local news sources, the headline of the day then became, Lee Shelton confesses, says he killed Will Shell. His confession and change of heart may not have been sudden. In fact, he changed his plea from, I wasn't even in Mitchell County when the incident occurred, and we were friends anyway, to, I didn't do it, to, I did do it, but it was self-defense, and his testimony saying that he did not actually know the victim. Also, it should be noted, his change of testimony in innocence and guilt came after 18 witnesses had been examined and testified for the state. After hearing the testimony, Shelton went on the stand in his own defense, and he stated he first met Shell in Panola when Shell was making some purchases at the store. Later, he overtook Shell on the road, and they walked together for a time as they were going in the same direction. Shelton claimed they had stopped at a branch near the railroad for water, and seeing the pistol that Shell had just purchased, apparently, 
Shelton asked to see it. Now Shell wisely, according to Mr. Shelton, removed the cartridges out of the pistol and handed it to Shelton. Shelton told Shell, according to his testimony, I will give you $5 in gold for it, unquote. Now Shelton claimed that the young man countered with an offer of $7. Then, instead of meeting in the middle, Shell suddenly upped his price to $7.50. Shelton testified that he handed the pistol back and declined the offer. At this point, according to Shelton, the victim said, Oh, I will give it to you, indicating he was going to shoot Shelton. Now that he had the revolver back, and then he started to reload it. Shelton continued that Shell turned his back to him as he was trying to get around out of his pocket to reload the gun. And that's when Shelton shot Shell four times in the back. The young man turned and said, You did not hurt me, damn you. I will get you yet. Then made for him, apparently lunging for him, Shelton said he reloaded and shot him in the head at that point, and he fell on the branch. Shelton then said, I ran up the railroad and went on home. He never saw Shell before that morning, and he said that Shell had told him his name was Higgins. Shelton also denied any type of robbery, although apparently the change that had been made at the store where the young man had bought his shirt and other items was somehow unique as the clerk or owner of the store testified in court that some of the money discovered on Shelton when he was caught was actually part of the change he gave to Shell for the shirt and other items he bought. After the self-defense testimony, the jury still found Shelton guilty, but they found him guilty of second-degree murder and not first-degree murder. Lee Shelton was given 30 years for his crime and sent to Raleigh to do his sentence. At one point, Mr. Shelton was assigned to a work farm in the Raleigh area, and in 1904, he managed to escape with another individual from Madison County who was also interned at that work farm, a convict by the name of Benata Rector, apparently a convicted horse thief. I'm afraid I was not able to find anything further on that particular individual in court records or newspaper histories. After a short bit of looking over their shoulder constantly and enjoying their freedom, the two were eventually recaptured. Now, in 1905, Lee Shelton again made the newspapers in North Carolina. While working as a prison laborer in the prison brick production area in Raleigh, he was working on loading and unloading a train car of clay from a mud and clay bank outside the city of Raleigh, and he had been put in charge of supervising other convicts in the brick production area. And it is possible, and it was mentioned in at least two newspapers of the day, that Shelton, in an attempt to escape, or more likely, I think, a miscalculation on his part of a step on the clay slick conveyance that he was riding on, the train, Shelton fell. He landed between the two rail cars on the track. He was run over and killed instantly by the train car wheels. Now, in this case, it does seem that Lady Justice did prevail. Yet it also seems the lady standing quietly at the back of the room also may have stepped in. 
Of course, it's also possible Lady Karma may have asked for a favor from the third lady in the room. Lady Luck may have stepped up and gave Lee Shelton a bit of a slip in the end. My friends, don't forget to never underestimate the sisters in the room. Lady Justice, Miss Karma, and of course, Lady Luck. Like I have said in other podcasts, they tend to have each other's back, and if one don't get you, one of the other sisters just might. Thank you for listening. Don't forget my website, scottlunsfordauthor.com, where you can find out about my books, podcasts, and where to get them. I can also be reached on the contact page there. Go to Cop and Coin a Novel on Facebook and like the page. If you do, you can receive updates on new and upcoming podcasts and new shades of blue. Thank you, and besides keeping your eyes on the ladies in the back of the room, don't forget to be safe and be secure this upcoming week. It's the shade of blue from our past that shapes our today. Now I turn it back over to you, Alice. Take us out. Five, four, three. You have been listening to the 542 in the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement, history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, you can go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. You can find a link to the podcast website along with information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Alice, your podcast editor. 2. 1. Background Theme. Mystery Sacks by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons.